Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. So today we're going to talk about designing work that doesn't stink. That's right. And there's plenty <laughs> of it out there, as you all are aware. So we're going to talk about what job satisfaction is, and we're going to talk about why it matters. We're going to talk about the five different facets or pieces of job satisfaction. And then we're going to talk about what's called the job characteristics model and how managers can make work more satisfying and motivating and how if you're stuck in a job that stinks, how there might be some ways that you can improve your situation. Ben, you've actually done um, research into stuff, right? Dirty work, you know, kind of like that show that guy has. What? It's a little bit like that show, but yeah, we'll get into that a little bit as we move on because there are there are plenty of jobs out there that aren't particularly pleasant. And in the literature, we actually define that those types of jobs as those that have some sort of uh, stigma or taint that society places on them. We'll talk about that a little bit as it relates to how you can deal with that. Uh, but maybe we start with this whole thing of job satisfaction. You know, this used to be kind of the thing in the world of organizational psychology, where it's like, hey, we, we it's, it's everything. We need to study this and study this. And at some point, I think this is one of those constructs that someone came along and said, all right, we're done with the job satisfaction thing. We know that it's it's a good thing, but there's probably other things that matter too. Uh, but let's move on. So it is important, however, and it, it has to do with, with kind of our emotional reaction to work, our, our, you know, the level of our um, pleasure or displeasure with our work on a, on an overall basis. Right. So this could fluctuate from day to day, but you know, in general, you probably have kind of a, a baseline of where you are in your job. Yeah. So, you know, I think, you know, most people, when they think about job satisfaction, it's me giving a rip about my circumstance. Mm. Right. And, you know, you know, managers give a rip about driving some productivity goal and the organization just cares about taking all my sweat off my back and handing it to shareholders. <laughs> right. It's like the circle of life. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> but, something like that. You know, <laughs> you know, whenever I hear that song, I always think of the uh, the Lion King spectacular whatever show that they do at Disney. Like you go. It, it is unbelievable. You got to go see it um, when you go to Disney World. It's it's awesome. But yes, yeah, I mean, something like that. Right. We all have these different reactions to work. Um, you know, and, and certainly when I think about different jobs that I've had in the past, you know, I can, I can say, yeah, this one was more satisfying than this one. How about you? Yeah, uh, definitely. Working with Ben Barron, sadly, <laughs> is the most satisfaction I've had in my life. Oh, that's horrible. To say. <laughs> horrible to hear that. I, I hope your situation improves. <laughs> But, Good grief. But here, here's some of the things, though. It's like, OK, I care about satisfaction, but then my boss or manager or whatever, you know, he's caring about that productivity. But we're also talking about what, you know, the Indigo podcast is about human flourishing at work and beyond. Right. And we can take a broader context. So uh, here's another disturbing kind of piece. It's almost like the, the litany of articles around here's why you should do stuff you should do because you're a good person because it gives you value. Here's hmm. 
Here's, as a manager, why you should care about your team's satisfaction, because it's going to make your performance go up so you can get promoted. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it it is interesting, right? Um, I remember back in graduate school when I was first working on my my PhD uh, and, you know, I was talking with some other professors and and one thing we talked about is, you know, you got to have a good dependent variable, uh, you you know, and it's, it's oftentimes good to to uh, show how something relates with job performance. That's kind of a big uh, kind of dependent variable that we use in, um, at least in IO psychology. And uh, to your point though, like some things might matter even if they don't matter for performance. Um, yeah. Now, like if you are in a cinder block building, right? We, we're in the military. How many cinder block buildings have we done work in? A lot. <laughs> well, why do they paint the walls? Hmm. because they look like hammered garbage if you don't you right. know there's like yet the wall the, especially on the interior maybe on the out exterior it matters but on the interior the, it would save us millions of dollars to not paint the interior but it's just a that's not how you want to live in the world right, right? right. Now, now fashion how we dress like i guess it's okay you know for something but we do it because why we like to show who we are we like clothes that might be comfortable. I mean, there's so much in the world of work that's right. like, well, what do? Why do we have to do this? You know, painting drywall in your house, your kids are just going to put marker on it. You know, <laughs> you, having nice furniture, your dog or cat's just going to eat it up because it's what makes life sweet. It's like, well, why do we? Uh, why don't we just eat all our uh, meals out of? goo packs that the astronauts use right? <laughs> i mean these are these are ridiculous questions but there's this underlying bias and the way we look at le- these things i think in the broader social conversation on linkedin three reasons why you should give a rip about your employees well i'm concerned that we even have to have an article for somebody like who are these people right isn't that the world that we want to live in the world that you want to live in, the world that I want to live in, is one in which people care about each other and care about each other's satisfaction for no other reason, right? Yeah. I, it's full stop. But to your point, there there are some other benefits out there to job satisfaction. Now, this is different from what we call organizational commitment. Uh, job satisfaction isn't necessarily just about your intent to remain part of the organization. That's what we call organizational commitment. And it was interesting for a long time, the prevailing thought was, well, if we have high job satisfaction, if we have happy workers, then we're going to get, you know, higher performance. And it's interesting because the research has kind of evolved to a point where it shows that that's kind of a mixed thing. Uh, It's not actually that strong of a relationship between one's job satisfaction and their performance. You know, there are all kinds of reasons why you might be satisfied with your job. One of them might be that you don't have to work very much. Yeah. You know, that the the you know, I mean, this is totally biased and stereotype, but like the pejorative DMV employee. Yeah, I just love chatting with Nancy all day and you know, I just see the applicants as I feel like it, <laughs> you know, this is the best job ever, right. but there's, there's nothing about performance, but this underlies, like these things are um, attached and detached in our human experience. Sure. Sure. And when I talk about this with MBA students, 
you know, I this is one of those classes where I I kind of get on a little soapbox. And you know, to your point, Chris, it's not about uh, necessarily that having happier workers, having people with higher job satisfaction, is necessarily going to make them. Uh, have higher performance. It might a little bit, right? But there's also, you know, performance also kind of drives satisfaction. When you're performing well, you also get more satisfied. So that's a little bit complicated. But there's another piece of this, which is, you know, we spend a lot of our waking hours at work, you know, especially in the United States and in some of our Western cultures, we spend a lot more time at work. And because of that, there's a big relationship between how satisfied you are with your work and your life satisfaction. And, you know, I make an appeal to my students saying, look, we need a world in which people are satisfied with their lives. And part of that is your job satisfaction. So to the degree that you can, as a future titan of industry, make people's lives a little bit better and make their work a little bit more satisfying, you're going to make a difference in their life satisfaction. You might actually be lowering their blood pressure a little bit. And that makes the world a better place. You really can change the world by just being a good manager. Yeah, and it's a portfolio of happiness here is how I like, you know, just like you just don't put all your money into one stock, right? You have maybe an index fund or you've got a mix of stocks and bonds and that kind of stuff. So you've got like your personal relationships or your romantic uh, relationships. You've got your maybe savings and financial plan. You've got where your work. And, you know, by having a portfolio, you can stabilize your life satisfaction. But just think if everything else is awry, you know, you're mm-hmm. married to somebody who's a total jack wagon. Right. <laughs> like, I can feel the eyes roll right now. Right. And then you go to a crappy job mm. and then you're looking you're looking at one of the others. It's like, you know, I don't eat garbage all day, every day at this crappy job to come home to the worst relationship. Right. Your portfolio is out of whack. And your life satisfaction is tanking. And so, um, yes, there's definitely more pieces to this. But life satisfaction and because of all the time we spend to work and because work is generally tied to our financial well-being, I I think it's an important one for us to focus on here. I concur. Absolutely. So (laughs) obvious. uh, Obviously. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So maybe now we can move on and talk a little bit about more specifically you know, what are some of those big facets or pieces of job satisfaction? Uh, Because you can think about this in a bunch of different ways, right? So when we ask about this, for example, in surveys, you know, there's usually a question that's kind of your general job satisfaction. It's like, oh, you know, all in all, I feel satisfied with my work, right? Or, Or something along those lines. However, there's also a couple different components that can give us some clues as to the different pieces that come into that puzzle of overall job satisfaction. So in general, we look at five different pieces of this. So this is something for all of you out there to be thinking about with regard to job satisfaction, how you might influence it for other people at, in, uh, uh, in your workplace, but also maybe how you can understand your own job satisfaction a little bit. Yeah, cash. That's... Cash is one of them. Number, <laughs> it is. Number one is cash. You know, like, <laughs> well, I, they're, they're not in, in ranked order here, but yes, one of them is pay. Yeah, because let's be honest, you meet good friends at work and everything, and maybe they grow into the kind of people that even if you won the lottery, you'd still hang out with. But with without some kind of pay, a lot of times these relationships don't form. 
You know, you don't mm-hmm. come, you know, we're coming together to achieve X. Okay. I think like a lot of the people that are working on COVID vaccines right now, a lot of them are just coming together for the love of humanity here and the mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of people of lives that they can save. But they also got to like eat during that time. Um, and so a lot of, the, you know, pay brings people together and it's a way of ascribing value to how a collective, you know, everybody talks about cash as this thing, but really it's a way of organizing is how I view it. it what's worth getting together and doing or not. Now, some people just like to, you know, crush candy on their phones or virtually farm with their friends while they make a fake mob. Um, okay. Well, that there's enough people that value that kind of stuff that, you know, you could organize around pay or sure. solving electric car problems. Right. So, but pay is one of those things that where the rubber meets the road, is it worth showing up at the end of the day? Right. And, and, you know, I think it's a little bit problematic to think of pay as like the only thing that motivates people at work, but it does need to be there. It's kind of a baseline, right? It's, it's, uh, you know, you want to pay people enough that they're not thinking about pay all the time. You want to pay people in line with kind of what the industry pays for that type of job. So they don't have big feelings of inequity because that can really motivate people to, or demotivate people, uh, depending on which side of that equation you're on. So pay is one of them. A second one, and again, these are not in ranked order or anything. These are just different pieces. But a second one here is your promotion opportunities. Uh, and, you know, people oftentimes, not all people, but people do like to see uh, some potential for f- a future for them in the organization that maybe goes beyond just where they currently are. And I think this is probably more applicable to people earlier in their career. Um, and certainly there's all kinds of individual variants here, but uh, promotion opportunities is number two. Yeah. And, you know, we'll have to talk about these at a later time, but there's some moderators to these things. Mm-hmm. Like some people really need to grow. If I don't have a chance to grow every year, I'm going to pull my hair out. Right. That's I wish right. I had hair to pull out, you know, <laughs> um, other people, are, you know, they get to a place and they're like, man, this is it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be in my bowling league on the weekend. I'm going to raise my kids and be a scout leader. Now I'm going to retire and chase grandkids. What a life. And that's totally cool. So promotion opportunities are important, but I can't tell you how many interviews I've sat with people wanting to go from that individual contributor level to their first management role. And you say, well, hey, tell me why you want to be a manager. Uh, uh, and really, it's like, <laughs> oh, I just want some more money. So it's really right. a pay issue, right? They they want to make. But when you ask them, no, they don't want to do the extra paperwork or meetings or or help manage disputes or calibrate schedules. Like, that's not something that they're super into. But right. for some people, it is. Hey, I think I can contribute at this level, and I'm going to climb till I get there. So, yeah, right. I think promotion. And and because of this, because promotion opportunities are a big part of uh, many people's job satisfaction, this is why having good career paths within your organization. Now, you got to be an organization of a certain size to have any kind of career path. Um, but once you get to that level of, you know, in terms of headcount, um, and you, you can actually have some career paths. Uh, that can be a really, really great place to kind of build a whole talent management strategy around. So promotion opportunities are important. Uh, and some people don't want the promotion. 
How many True. execs have we yeah. read? It's like, you know, I'm miserable. I was way better well, when I was writing so, code or something. I, honestly, I think some people like the idea of the promotion more than the actual promotion, more than the, you know, they kind of like the, the title and the idea the of social it. prestige, yeah, all that exactly. kind of stuff. But then they get there and they're like, oh, this is, uh, this is a lot of work or this is not what I imagined. <laughs> so, okay. So promotion opportunities. Uh, what's another one? Uh, well, hey, who you're working with. Yeah. Like, so you we're know, talking my about jo- my job satisfaction would be so much better if I could do a podcast with somebody other than Chris. Yeah. Like, I, it, it, and, and you probably feel the same, but we, for whatever reason, we can't find other people. Reached the market clearing price for our awesomeness <laughs> and have settled in. <laughs> <laughs> but who you're working with does matter. And, you know, we talk about this all the time on the podcast about how your relationships really matter. You know, we are. To, to some extent, social creatures as humans. And if we don't have those good relationships around us, we tend to suffer. And um, that's part and, of this. And so we, or the topic of today's show is designing work that doesn't stink. But you know what? I mean, some of the jobs you have to do in the military are just like, oh, my gosh. But when you're doing it with the group of people that you freaking love, you and what do we call it in the military? Embrace the suck. Yeah. Right. Like, and you're like, you know, this is a stinky, horrible, gosh, darn day or mission or whatever. But man, I couldn't be in the trenches with a better cohort of, you know, numbskulls ever. Um, right. Right. Yeah. When you have it, when you have those good relationships and you have a good sense of humor with each other, it really can make a, a not so great situation better. You know, I remember times like, you know, it's, it's, it's five in the morning. It's dark. It's cold. You're all standing out there with like a bunch of battle rattle on and you're going to go shoot at a range or something. And the army guys have already been awake for two hours. <laughs> you lazy navies. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but because you're there with, you know, the people on your left and right, even if you don't, even if you have recently gotten to know them, you can kind of look at each other and you're like, all right, here we go. And you know, sometimes there's that one person who's just like, this stinks. But you can sometimes bring that person around with a little bit of levity. So your coworkers do matter. They matter um, a great deal uh, to your overall satisfaction. So if you have great coworkers, that's a big piece of this. And this is why that social environment that you create in the workplace is very important. Yeah. And then your, I guess your boss is the obvious next one, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, you don't pay me. You guys are such jerks. You don't pay me enough. And on top of that, the boss is bad. (laughs) You know, you can, you can see people weighing each job. You know, you have these five buckets. We'll do the, well, I mean, I guess we can say the last one's the job itself, but, but you know, you're weighing what's like, well, the boss is awesome, but my team is bad. Mm Mm-hmm. The pay is super great, but I don't really like the people I'm with. But that's okay. Maybe I'll just stay here four or five years and move somewhere better. You know, after I build that addition to the house I want. Or, yeah. right, those kinds of things. But or, It's funny because you're, you're probably right. Many of our listeners are sitting here going, hmm, how am I doing here on these? <laughs> we should make promote- an app. You can, <laughs> you can rate the different ones. I'm like, should I stay or should I go? That's right. That's right. <laughs> should I stay or should I go? Good song. Um, so, it, you know, it's funny. I, I remember back when I was in graduate school and I was first getting exposed to some of these ideas from the literature in uh, industrial and organizational psychology. I was, I was working at the time when I first took some of those classes. I was like, man, this is making me think a little differently about my job too. But anyway, so your boss does matter. You know, managers matter. They really matter. Uh, they are kind of the window through which everybody sees the organization. We've talked about the idea of perceived organizational support on this podcast before, and the idea of perceived supervisor support. You know, the degree to which your supervisor 
cares about your well-being and values your contributions makes a huge difference. You, you just you got to notice as a manager, first of all, that people are doing stuff. And then you got to mention it and say, hey, thanks. Right. <laughs> and this is not one of those. Uh, oh, well, only the millennials want this stuff, right? First of all, go listen to our episode with Court Rudolph. Generations don't even really exist, and generational differences certainly don't exist, so you shouldn't manage to them. But, uh, you know, people like to be supervised well. Fairness matters. Kindness matters. Competence matters. Well, so so there you go. And we talk about why does it matter? Well, you know, the drug deal of performance. Oh, I better fake these things so I can get the performance. But here's the thing. And, and I think some of this has to do with the housing stuff. Homeowners do certain behaviors. So quick, let's figure out how to get everybody into a house. Hmm. Well, but little do we know that the thing was, is the people that have these certain behaviors, you know, notwithstanding some of our income inequality and some of the challenges we're facing globally and as a country. But if they do those behaviors, they end up in a house and it's backwards. So mm -hmm. it's like, ooh, if I do these behaviors, I'll have good employees. Well, really, those the thing about the data about supervision is you gotta actually care. Right. So you if know, you're not if you're a snake in a grass, you know, psychopath, you're not gonna get to tap into these soft skill awesomeness of performance and team. So it's like you get you back into this world. You focus on yourself, your character, who you are. If there's elements of your person that are not who you want to be, that's an existential journey you take. The rewards are are countless. And mm -hmm. you're backing into like, how's he a good supervisor? I don't know. I just have always cared about people. I started working at a soup kitchen and, and building Habitat for Humanity houses and stuff. But, you know, the, these are the kinds of things anyway. Right. No, I, I think there, to your point, there is a, a great deal here that comes from uh, things like character things like integrity. Uh, and, you know, you can, to some extent, you can say, okay, well, here's some things you can, some practical things you can do, you know, manager to make people more satisfied at work. And we're going to talk about some of those here in a minute. But and I think thinking about all these different aspects that we're talking about in the podcast today are, are important. Um, but here's the thing, you're, you, it really does need to come from a, a place of good faith. And it's a lot easier to sustain that if you have your head screwed on straight in the first place with regard to how you care about the people in your organization. Um, otherwise, you know, it's going to be seen eventually, most likely, as fake. People will maybe react positively for a little while, and then they're going to be like, well, you know, this doesn't really jive with how this person is. And I can see through that. So coming from a place of integrity really does matter. And that brings us to the last facet of job satisfaction. We've talked about pay, promotion opportunities, coworkers, supervision. The last one is a really interesting category that we're going to dive into a little bit in more detail. And this is the work itself, what you actually do in the course of your day. This really matters. Yeah. So if, if it's, you know, I pick up the paper from this desk and put it on that desk, and then they take it from that desk and put it on this desk, well, you know, for some people, that could be highly satisfying. For others, it could be mind-numbing. And this is one, you know, we talk about the book, The Chimp Paradox. And, and one of the, you know, the kind of summaries out of that book is you have these that your brain kind of has a piece that it needs. And then your base level person has something that it needs. 
you know? So if you're a kind of person, like we all know the kind of person, if they don't work out that, that every day, they're, they're a cranky coworker. You're like, man, go do, take an hour and go do some pushups and come back. Right. Because they're, you know, that chimp side of them just has a need for that physical exertion and stuff. So when we look at our work, the best work for any individual is a place where their human and chimp can find a place of peace and what they're doing. Um, so for some people that needs to be much more cerebral and for other people, they're like, man, I just love landscaping. Why? I like to lift. I, I go to CrossFit in the morning and then I like lifting heavy things so much. I want to lift heavy things all day. <laughs> right. And, and sitting, putting on a tie and sitting in a cubicle sounds horrible. Other people is like, man, I just love Excel. And look at all this math I'm doing. You know, I ran an AI model on this data set and we're doing machine learning over here. It's great. Right. You know, different strokes for different folks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, it actually reminds me of um, a conversation I had probably a decade and a half ago or so with Steven Rogelberg, a, a guest who we've had on our podcast and a dear friend and mentor to me. And, you know, I, I asked him at one point, you know, why did you choose to go into academia over uh, going into industry um, with your after you got your Ph.D.? And, you know, he had a bunch of, you know, great reasons. And he said, you know, what? another one and this may seem silly is, you know, so this is back in the um, 90s. And he was like, you know, when when workplace culture was a little bit more formal and stuff. And he said, you know, the other thing is. I just didn't want to wear a tie, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you know? but there's these funny things about the work itself that, that can really matter. And, uh, that kind of brings us to this next piece, which is we're going to talk about the work itself, right? As this fifth facet of job satisfaction, we're going to unpack that a little bit using something called the job characteristics model. This has been around for a long time, but it's a helpful way to think about those aspects in which the work itself can vary from job to job. And there are also ways in which managers can potentially change them, right, to make them more satisfying and more uh, motivational. And we're going to talk about a little bit what managers and people can do. So that's our, our next piece. But uh, first, I just want to encourage everyone to, you know, we love your, the support that you give to the Indigo podcast. Please, if you don't, you haven't subscribed yet, get out there, subscribe to the podcast, share what we're doing with your friends. The, the podcast is doing phenomenally well. We've been around almost now for a year, which is just mind blowing, uh, but we need your support. Yeah. So it, it's interesting because a lot of people are discovering us and listening to us on the web. Because they're not regular podcasts. They're not these super podcast listeners that listen to seven plus hours of podcasts. So if you're one of those guys listening on the web, you know, great. But pretty much every platform, be it computer or phone, has a podcast app. Go download one of those. Subscribe within the app. You'll you'll thank us later. Um, that's a good way forward for you. Right, because then you just automatically get each episode as we release them. So um, again, appreciate your support. If you ever have any topic ideas, guest ideas, anything that you want to share with us, uh, good, bad, or otherwise, please go to indigotogether.com slash contact. We'd love to hear from you. All right. So why don't we talk now about this job characteristics model and what this means? So just like there were kind of five pieces of the job satisfaction puzzle, uh, there are five pieces of the job characteristics model. So we're going to go through these a little bit and we can talk about kind of how work can vary in these different things. And the first one, and again, these aren't in necessarily like ranked order, but just the first one we're going to talk about 
is task variety, right? We like, in general, of course, individual differences come into play, but we like to use different skills and abilities, you know, at various times throughout our work. Right. And and let's just give, because we're not going to get into the rest of this model in this episode, but the idea is if the job has good characteristics, it's going to yield a better psychological state in the people that are doing those jobs. Yes. And then hopefully you'll get a good work-related outcome. Now, that's great. I'm saying you should do this anyway because it's the kind of world you want to live in. There's No matter what your motive, you can have bad motivations here. There's a lot of good outcomes all over the spectrum that makes this worth exploring. So that's, that's why we're focusing on these job characteristics because they're going to change your mind to change your world, right? Mm -hmm. So- Okay, so skill variety, you know, right. what what was the make the donuts, right? Make the they wake up, make the donuts over, 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 right? <laughs> you know, now some people like this is interesting. Certain aspects of um, ideas that come out of the east, like in Japanese culture, about an artisanal approach, right? Mm. Yes, we are doing this, but doing this repetitive task. Think about meditation, yoga, a lot of these things. They're doing repetitive tasks in a trance inducing some, you know, I'm not totally familiar with all the pieces in, but there, there becomes something or classical music. That's something I can speak to, you know, uh, you know, the 10th time I performed Brahms Requiem was when it really started. Now that's one piece of music, right? Now it's a big one. It's a masterwork, but so variety how important that is to some people is greater than others. Now you can go into that Zen and polish that repetitive task. That's great too. But also people, it's like, ah, the first day, a uh, part of my day, I enjoy, you know, doing my emails. Then I move into this kind of things. Then I have some meetings, having that kind of diversity and actually getting up off your desk. I mean, that's, that's really nice. I like right. it. And right. And, and I think most people like this, at least to some degree. And this is why, uh, or one way I'll say, that a manager could make a little bit more variety come into play in anyone's job is to look at all the different things that are going on on your team, and you can combine some tasks saying, hey, instead of, you know, Sally doing this and Joe doing this, you know, why don't Sally do both of these and Joe does both of them? They can work together a little bit, right? That also provides a little bit of camaraderie, but it also allows them to shift those tasks a little bit. Um, and, and not get bored, right? Because we like to use different pieces of our, uh, of our skill and of our knowledge. So variety, definitely a piece of this, definitely important to a lot of people. The next is what we call task identity. And this is a really interesting idea. And this is the idea that you can see the whole product of your work. And the example I, I oftentimes think about um, is actually with a motorcycle company. So there's these, uh, I don't even know if they're still in business, but there's a motorcycle company where there was, it's called Titan Motorcycles. And Titan, yeah, yeah they, they made these, I mean, just absolutely gorgeous motorcycles that were insanely expensive. And you um, used to be a motorcycle guy, right, Ben? Yeah, yeah. So my brother had a Harley and I had a Triumph and we had ride all over Southern California. It was awesome. Um, but, you know, my bike was a fraction of the cost of a Titan, but sometimes we'd <laughs> see these things out there. And so my brother was telling me a little bit about it and he's like, yeah, you know, these things actually are built by like one person or maybe a small team, but they, they build that entire motorcycle from start to finish. And that can be a really satisfying thing psychologically to say, 
I built that. I, you know, this is something that I started on. I, I see how my little contributions ended up in this big thing. I remember working as a landscaper back in, uh, you know, high school and college, like you drive through town and you'd be like, Oh, look, there's that little retaining wall I built and it's still up. That's cool. Like it's, it seems kind of funny now, but it, it does give you this sense of satisfaction that can be really, really important. Now, the truth is that in larger organizations with the division of labor that has to happen, we oftentimes can get really separated from that overall work product. We can really start to feel like we're just a little piece of the machine, right? Yeah, you literally are just another brick in the wall. <laughs> Let's be honest. But but it's nice to see the whole, a piece of the whole, somebody getting a computer at the end of the day. Um, somebody driving a vehicle, like you may only work in consumer finance for Toyota, but you know, every time you see a Toyota on the street, you're part of that mission. And one of the things that I think is cool is during an orientation for new hires. And I don't think they should only do it. Then they should do that maybe annually. You know, you got to renew the vision in your people and take them on a tour, you know, Hey, Larry and finance, we're going to go see how, the Tacoma gets put together. We're going to go see the automation. Look at these robots. It's amazing. We're going to put on hard hat and glasses. We're going to do all this cool stuff. We're going to go. And then maybe we'll even meet with an executive and understand. Or also, um, you know, when I worked at Dell, it was really cool. They did a um, strategy thing where they would just talk about. Now, I was selling computers on the phone. You know, I'm about as far at that point, you know, and I'm gigging as a musician, but um I'm about as far from the CEO as you can get in that org. And I remember they sat us down in this huge place and they had a time and they were showing when Apple came out with the iPhone. And it's like, this is Dell's market share, nothing, nothing. And then all of a sudden, boom, guys, we got to be super competitive in this space. And we've, and it was, you know, I mean, it was corporate-y. I get it. It's a bit sanitized, but it did make you feel motivated as part of that broader team. And seeing how your part contributes to the whole. I think the military does a good job with that as well. Sure, sure. And this is what, you know, managers can do this for their people or should be doing this, I'll say. Uh, they can help them, help everyone else see how what they're doing fits into the bigger picture. Uh, you know, you just mentioned the military. I remember back when I was on uh, a deployment, this was back in 2004, I was uh, deployed on a ship and I was in charge of the electricians and a lot of these people would just work kind of inside the ship all day and didn't even really have a reason to see the water. Right. So Navy warships don't have like windows and stuff. Right. So at least, at least not, not in most places. It's like, I got the ca the cabin window bird. <laughs> yeah, so I have the balcony room. Uh, no, you don't have any of that. And so it, it, it really could become monotonous or just kind of tedious work that they're doing day in and day out, fixing little electrical issues throughout the ship, doing maintenance. Uh, and, you know, at some point it's like, gosh, how do I really fit into like, you know, the global war on terrorism? And so, you know, I felt it was kind of my responsibility. And so I peri to periodically remind them of, hey, like, hey, this is where we are. This is what we're doing. You know, your work on this is really helping to, you know, continue our mission and so forth. And those little reminders, I think, can be one way in which managers can build some of that task identity. The next one, and this kind of is related, um, is this idea of task significance. You know, we like to do things that seem to matter, that seem to matter to other people, that seem to matter to the world at large. Yeah. So 
I, I don't know. The the worst thing, and I've seen managers do this, the worst thing you can do is crush the soul of somebody that's on your team. Mm. Like, listen, this whole this whole team and job is worthless. I'm just here till I move to the next spot. Ugh. You know, I mean, that, that because what we do is significant. And don't be surprised if you see a bunch of turnover on that, that type of team with that type of leader. Right. Um, the, the idea is, does what I do have an impact on the greater world? And so despite the fact that we have all this LinkedIn, people treating people as another brick in the wall, all this kind of stuff, I think one of the most insanely cool things about humanity is that we are looking for significance. You know, Man's Search for Meaning, that book that we talk about all the time. You know, we are meaning creating and seeking and improvising uh, Victor Frankl, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. If you haven't read that, you guys should go check it out. But um, we're, we're sur- even in the most homogenized Best Buy Old Navy type world, right? Um, we're looking for significance here. Creating that in the tasks that you do is important. Right. And, you know, it's not that no, most of us don't have jobs in which we are literally curing cancer or developing a COVID vaccine or something in which it is so obvious that it has huge significance, right? So another show that I'm watching right now with my wife on Netflix is called Away, and it's about this first manned mission to uh, to Mars, right? It's a, it's a fiction piece, right, of course, but very yeah, interesting. Is this where all the wives want their husbands to go to Mars, and it, no, that's, the, that's the, the happy ending? No, the, <laughs> the, no the, the commander of the mission is a woman, so uh, she leaves her husband at home. Um, but anyway, it's, it's really good. Nice. Uh, at least, at least like, I think I've watched like an episode or, or so. It's, it's good um, so far. And, uh, you know, we don't all have those types of opportunities. However, we do have the opportunity. Let's say you're working in some manufacturing environment where you're making something that's fairly mundane. Um, that thing still has a use and a purpose. And even if what you're doing doesn't, it doesn't really feel like it has a big impact on, on the world, you can still find significance in how you treat each other at work. The, the environment that you create around you, right? That can be part of the meaning that you have in the workplace. Uh, you know, there are repetitive jobs out there. There's also, and, you know, as we mentioned in the beginning of the episode, there are also kind of disgusting types of, of jobs, or at least types of jobs that carry this social, moral, or physical taint that make them stigmatized. And this is something I've done a little bit of research on myself, these things that we call dirty work. So, you know, could be the, the people who work in sewage, the people who are uh, funeral directors and morticians. Um, people who, you know, I've done research, for example, on slaughterhouse workers, on um, uh, people who work in animal shelters who have to perform euthanasia on animals on a regular basis, right? These are types of work that people are like, oh, that's so, that, that's tough, right? How do you, how do, you do that? And um, interestingly, you can shift your mindset. And that's what a lot of these people do who are still thriving in those roles. They, they shift their mindset. So instead of thinking about the fact that I have to, you know, kill a lot of puppies like that, that's horrible. Right. And it's very tough to deal with not trying to minimize that at all. Uh, But a lot of the people who do that say, you know what, I'm going to also spend a lot of time on educating the public on neuter and spay programs for animals. Right. And that, because I, I want to help make a difference and I want to, you know, reframe kind of my work so that I don't have to do this other part as much and, and also to give just kind of this idea of significance. So there are ways to deal with this. You could also, as an employee, 
um, do what's called job crafting. This would be a fun episode we could do at some point too. This is where, you know, everybody does this, I think a little bit, where you take your job, what you're told to do, and then kind of over time, you just kind of morph it to fit those things that you really like to do, those things that you're good at. And you can do this, uh, you know, in your organization oftentimes. Um, and, uh, and it can be a helpful thing for you. Yeah. And society needs to flip on this stuff. So, uh, yeah, this guy's a, you know, porta potty technician or sanitary, you know, but you wait till nobody has plumbing and there's human feces outside of every home like there was in middle age. And then everybody's like, oh, my gosh, you'd have parades for these guys. There they yeah. are, real men of genius, right? You know, real well, no, men I, of genius. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you are absolutely right. And I'm so glad you said that, Chris, because we saw some of this at the- Teachers. It, yeah, teachers, um, people who are working all these, uh, you know, now essential services. Uh, a lot of these things had to get kind of delineated as um, many countries went through lockdown periods, um, you know, as COVID started to take hold. And then it's like, who's essential now, people, right? I mean- yeah, um, jack wagons, you know, you, yeah, there's a disease going around and you still want chicken. Well, I got to show up to work while you're getting yeah. PPP or whatever, you know? So this, this is the whole idea of significance. A lot of it's mental framing, right? Yes. How do we frame what we do? Now, you know, we always talk about, you know, implications for people, leaders, and orgs. Make sure you're framing stuff in a good way. Now, if you can't frame it in a good way, I think you need to do some evaluation about what are you doing on this planet type stuff, but you got to frame what's going on. So like teachers were like, yeah, well, let's just get them for the cheapest price. Yeah, because that's what you want. You want the bargain basement value teacher for your kid. <laughs> you know, you know, and meanwhile, it's like, well, I'm just going to go live in an elite neighborhood and go to the, 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 the by the way, into Harvard because they play oboe and it's some eccentric sport that only exists to get non-performers in the Ivy League. You know, that kind of thing. No, we got it. That's a corrupt way of thinking. You guys got to reframe. And the other thing, and we did an episode on this, is finding an identity outside of work. Having a portfolio approach allows you to make those context shifts. A little easier. That's right. That's right. So the, the next one that we just want to mention is autonomy. So to some degree, people do like to have some autonomy in their work, giving them some say over how they get things done. So as a manager, you can present people with a, a problem or a situation that needs to get dealt with and give people some autonomy in terms of how they approach it. We like to be seen uh, and we like to see ourselves as people with brains, right? Not just uh, kind of semi-autonomous robots. And then the last piece is feedback. And this can, we oftentimes think of feedback as, uh, you know, managers telling people how they do. And that, that could be part of this, but what we're really talking about is task feedback. So for example, and this one will resonate maybe with you a little bit, Chris, you know, when you do computer programming, you do, you write a bunch of code and then you try to run something, you know, pretty quickly whether or not it works, right? Um, when I do this with, when I'm doing statistical analyses, I'll put some stuff together, hit run. And if it works, then I know right away. And that's a piece of task feedback where I can know immediately kind of how I'm doing. People like to see how they're doing in their work. And with knowledge work, I think this, this probably does come a little bit more from other people telling you how you're doing, uh, but it's an important piece of this job characteristics model. Yeah. We navigate life like a submarine, right? We're just going around. And if we're smart, we're sending out sonar pings. How am I doing in this world? 
are my behaviors matching the social context by which I find myself in? I'm driving, you know, am I too close to the lines? Is that car coming over here? You know, ping. And we're waiting for the feedback, which is that pong, to let you know your, you know, your depth, range, distance, all that kind of stuff. So if you're a manager or a leader, an organization, you know, we talk about a feedback culture. We talk about how to do performance reviews. We all that kind of stuff. This is a collaborative sport on feedback. Hey, I'm performing these tasks. I would like to have some feedback on how I'm doing because I don't want to be a jack wagon and bring the team down, right? You know, hey, why isn't my manager giving me feedback? You know, these kinds of things. Managers, guys, I got to give you feedback because I want to create a high-performance team. And in the spirit of us wanting to be on the coolest team in this org, we're going to give each other feedback. And that's just going to be the norms around here, how we do things around here, these kinds of things. When you get no feedback, all right, Ben, go head up this division of this large organization We'll check in with you in five years. <laughs> well, some people will be like, awesome. I've got Greenfield. I'm going to do this. And, you know, I think about the biblical parable about the planting your talents in the ground. You know, some pe- maybe if they had had a better feedback culture along the way with those talents, it wouldn't have been so derailed. But, you know, but one of them like really built an empire and said, look at all this I did. Right. Well, then some of them were if you don't want to risk it to make a biblical parable in your organization You got to have some feedback. Now, if you're not getting that as an individual, ask for it. If you're a manager, read about it. Learn how to do it well. If your organization's not equipping you as a manager to uh, do it well and get feedback on how you do feedback, well, that's a good suggestion for them. And orgs, you've got to curate feedback when there. Because when everybody has good feedback, not only can they do the kind of desired behaviors and stuff you're looking like, it improves their emotional context and motivation, which is what this whole thing is like tasks. You know, if you have a job design, a good task and the way that it's designed creates positive psychological states, which yield excellent outcomes in society at large and in your org. Wonderful. Couldn't have said it better myself. So today on the Indigo podcast, we talked about designing work that doesn't stink. We talked about what job satisfaction is, why it matters, some different facets of job satisfaction, those five different components. And then we talked about the job characteristics model and how managers can make work more satisfying and motivating using those ideas. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.